Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. If you are just joining, this week, producer Kimberly Winston is talking to a roundup of faith leaders from across traditions from around the country. Earlier leaders described the learning and strategies that help them cope with suffering and put into perspective all the events of 2020. Now she turns to a different question. What are the prayers and spiritual practices that sustain these leaders as they begin a new year? She begins by posing that question to Rabbi Neil Blumoff. You know, the joke would be, as in Fiddler on the Roof, you know, may 2021 keep the czar or the corona or the king far away from us, right? You know, that's that's for fun, but I, I think that the opportunity in the prayer that I would have specifically, and I do really appreciate spontaneous prayers, actually, is that it gives us a, a new chance to see who we are and not to try to just whittle down the time because we don't know what else to do, but to really take this time in contemplation and really think about who we are and what we can and could be doing with our time and with our energies that we have remaining to us. Because I think more than anything, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Psalms says, rejoice in this day and be glad in it. This is the day that God has made. And the fact that we have just this time, I think hopefully, as we realize all of the other issues that you've named uh, that are still in our world, including climate and other things that we have to work on, that it gives us a softer sense of purpose to be with each other without trying to capture a winner-take-all attitude. When I ask Drew Hart of Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, what prayer or rituals might serve us well in 2020, he plants himself firmly in his role as a theology professor and gives me an assignment. To learn from the faith of those who developed their faith in the crucible of suffering. Read the slave narratives. Listen to the spirituals. Read, you know, I think the letter from Birmingham jail ought to be a part of the canon. I guess what I'm getting at is that there's these traditions from the underside that are really beautiful and powerful and encouraging, um, and they can deepen our faith, a gift to the world. And I think that other traditions, too, that were born on the underside that were courageous enough to reinterpret the faith for themselves away from being a death-dealing faith to a, a life-giving and liberative faith, wherever that's happening we ought to be attuned and gleaning and learning from others. And then he pivots and tells me how his prayer life has changed during the pandemic. I actually have been more intentionally praying for Shalom, for God's dream for us, that that would be realized, that I, I would be awakened to the idea, to what that means for my own community, and that I would struggle along others, alongside others for that. Uh, I guess it's the... Prayers to dream, dangerous dreams, right? Subversive dreams um, that that refuse to just acquiesce to the status quo. In Los Angeles, Varun Soni of USC prescribes a new old way of praying for the world. In my Hindu practice, we would go to temple every week and there would be a prayer opportunity for us to offer prayers for ancestors and family members. Maybe now we expand that. Maybe we offer prayers for first responders. We offer prayers for the people who are going through a lot of pain right now, the economic anxiety, those who have lost loved ones, et cetera. 
I think what this pandemic shows us is how interconnected we were. We can never again say that we're not living in a deeply interconnected world. The, the reality is that uh, we are asking young people not to do certain things in order to save the lives of people they will never meet. That shows you how interconnected everything is. And so my sense is that, especially for young people who feel disconnected from each other, this can be an opportunity for them to understand that we're all in this interconnected web. And so whatever they might do, however they might reinterpret their traditions, um, honors that fact that we're interconnected, that we, we all, and, and so what does that mean? That means that your community becomes bigger, your prayer circle becomes bigger, the ritual becomes bigger. We don't just focus on our families, we focus on the global family in some way. We understand that that is also our family. And we imagine anew what that means for a new generation that was raised without that idea. So I think however people feel like they can interpret text or ritual, they should, because the themes within the text resonate in different ways and for different people um, in a different time. And so we can go back to old texts and find something new in them because the times are different and we're different. And he shared with me a spiritual practice drawn from yoga he learned from Ariana Huffington when she came to USC for a talk. It's called box breathing. It's pretty straightforward. It's sort of a four seconds of inhalation, four seconds of holding the breath, four seconds of exhalation, four seconds of holding the breath. So four cycles of four. She told me that um, this is what Navy SEALs do when they're stressed. So no matter how stressed we are, it should work for us. <laughs> Another spiritual practice Sony likes is walking in nature because it reminds him that we are all linked together in the good times and the bad. When we are communing with nature, when we are um, out by the beach or out in the mountains, um, we might be wearing a physical mask, but we don't have to wear our symbolic masks. That's when I don't have to be dean or father or husband or vice provost or professor or you know any of the things that I have to be during my course of my day. And so for me, communing with nature is a good way to understand that we are part of a larger universe. In many ways, we are the children of the stars, that we are connected to a larger whole, that we can have awe and transcendence in our life, that we can reconnect with the moment in a non-judgmental way. At his Chicago synagogue, Rabbi David Wolkenfeld is focused on one particular ritual aspect of the Jewish calendar. In Judaism, the new day begins at sunset. But there is a nebulous shadow time between then and nightfall that he sees as a metaphor for life under COVID. In between sunset and nightfall is a kind of liminal time. It's in between. It's a time of doubt. It's a time of a little bit like the day that ends, that's ending, a little bit like the day that's coming. Uh, it's the in-between status. It has some characteristics of the old day, some characteristics of the new day. And uh, we sort of don't have this instant you know, click and one day ends and the new day begins. In Judaism, it, it has this this fading away of the old and, and then the ushering in uh, of the new. Uh, and um, and actually, when the community congregation starts its evening prayers, uh, that actually clicks, you know, the calendar time for the entire community. It's not so clean. It's not so neat. It's not so instant. There's a fading away and an ushering in that's gradual and a lot of autonomy is given over to human beings to decide for ourselves, uh, okay, now we're ready for the new day to begin. So I would say if you want to expand that to a, like this, this, this broader experience that we're going through, there's a, um, 
a fading away of one situation we've been in and hopefully leading into something better and more hopeful, but it's not going to be instantaneous. It's going to be a, it's going to be an in a long in-between time and slowly, slowly that in-between time will be less and less reminiscent of what came before and more and more reminiscent of what's coming next. In Baltimore, Reverend Emily Scott has also tuned into that mysterious division between night and day. In the spring, she began saying Vespers, an evening prayer service via Zoom with the two Lutheran congregations she serves. I was sort of scrambling and thinking, you know, how are we going to support people through this? And so we started this Vespers service that very week to kind of say, there are these ancient words that we've been given that we can keep returning to. And it's amazing how those words that have been kind of passed down through history echoed in new ways in light of what we were going through. I mean, there's a very simple prayer for those who are sick and those who are suffering um, and those who care for them. Um, and that prayer was so poignant at the beginning of the pandemic. So the one that we say each week together is, oh God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yeah. Is that something that you think you will continue in the new year and maybe even after we all get the shots and can go back to our, the what do they call it, the before times? Yeah. You know, I'm, I keep sort of questioning if we ever will go back to the before times. I think I think we've been kind of fundamentally changed by this, and I think it will kind of continue to unfold in ways that we haven't expected in terms of larger social change and cultural change. But I think that we will certainly keep praying Vespers through the end of the pandemic, if there is really an end. <laughs> um, it will certainly carry us through um, the winter in particular. You know, my, my concerns as a pastor have really been for congregants through the sort of shorter, darker, colder days of winter. And, you know, we know this is going to be a really tough one. So having that regular practice to lean on and those regular words to lean on, I think will be um, really vital for the congregation through the winter. It's a small group and we take time each week to have each person share how their week has been. And sometimes they, they talk about where they've seen God this week. So each person is listened to. And then afterwards we say, um, I say the person's name and I say, we hear you. And the whole group says your story is heard. And I think even, even just that sense of marking time and mar marking each week, having an ability to articulate like this week was a little better than last week, or this week was really hard has been really important for some of our folks. And why do you think that's so? I think part of it is that it kind of feels like time has eroded <laughs> during the pandemic and um, all the days sort of feel the same. So to come back around to Wednesday night and know, you know, this is Vesper's night and to have that chance to stop and reflect for a moment and think like, well, where was I a week ago and um, how am I today? And to actually have that marked by the community that is close to you, you know, to have people kind of listen and hear that change, I think makes it more real um, and helps, yeah, helps market ritually. Sometimes I find like in times like these, we just need words, right? We don't know the words to pray. Becky Eldridge, the Catholic spiritual director from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, relies on a much less formal prayer, one from the mouth of St. Oscar Romero, the martyred Salvadoran priest. 
there was a moment where he was very overwhelmed with what he saw. He saw the poverty of his people, the people he was called to really speak on on their behalf and be an advocate for, but he was overwhelmed with the situation that, I mean, he knew, like, if I speak out, my life is at risk, right? And he ended up becoming a martyr, right? He was ended up um, being killed for what he believed in. But his words are, I can't, you must, I'm yours, show me the way. I can't, you must, I'm yours, show me the way. And that's a prayer I think we can all pray right now. We don't know the full way. Whatever prayers, rituals, and practices get us through the new year and, hopefully, to something like normalcy, all our Roundup guests agreed on this, that organized religion, as we know it, will be changed. The pleasure of worshiping with fellow believers around the world via Zoom, the ease of performing armchair pilgrimages through YouTube, and the joy of singing with great choirs on TikTok are not going to fall away easily. And that, they told me, is okay. More than okay. Change is part of the nature of faith. Here's Varun Soni. Faith is a journey. It's an evolution. It looks different every year. And over the last 20 years in the U.S., it's looked dramatically different. I mean, before the pandemic, we were already in a place where um, there was a rapid rise of those who are not affiliated, the largest growing religious demographic in the country. I think we were already at a point where everything was already looking different. The pandemic has disrupted things in all sorts of areas, education, healthcare, um, the way we work, the way we play, um, that will probably never go back to the way they were. And I think that's true with religion. I think there will be, in my opinion, a huge demand in in-person experience. So post-pandemic, people will flock to the kinds of in-person experiences that they couldn't have online. They will flock to sporting events. They will flock to concerts. They will flock to restaurants. They will travel the world. Does this mean they're going to flock back to houses of worship? I think the people who were already in houses of worship will flock back in larger numbers. Um, But I also think houses of worship, just like education, just like medicine, just like so many other industries, are also going to have to continue to be online places. People, in some ways, came to houses of worship during the pandemic because it was so easy for them to come to houses of worship during the pandemic. Those technologies that houses of worship have developed over the pandemic, the platforms, the apps, the video streaming, the the live streams, the tele-chaplaincy opportunities, I think will have to continue because people will expect to be able to engage services online. But I do think there's going to be an explosion of in-person activity across domains, including um, in houses of worship. And in some ways, listen, in some ways, what what made the pandemic very real for people are two things. For, for me, it made it, it was very real when the NBA shut down. That's when sports shot, stopped. And the same week, the houses of worship shut down. So when sports and religion shut down, it became very real for people. That's when the pandemic was very real. And when sports and religion come back, that's when the end becomes very real. And so in many ways, religion has been a barometer for where we are and how we're feeling about this. And I think that will continue as we get past it. I want to thank our Roundup participants who were so generous with their time and their intellects. They were Rabbi Neil Blumoff, 
senior rabbi at Agudas Akim, a conservative temple in Austin, Texas. Becky Eldridge is the author of The Inner Chapel, and she leads Ignatian spirituality retreats from her base in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Drew Hart is a professor of theology at Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and his new book is Who Will Be a Witness? Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love, and Deliverance. Emily Scott is a Lutheran pastor of two Baltimore congregations that include many LGBTQ persons and is the author of For All Who Hunger, Searching for Communion in a Shattered World. Varun Soni is the Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, whose books Natural Mystics looks at the prophetic lives of Bob Marley and Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. Rabbi David Wolkenfeld is the spiritual leader of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel, an Orthodox synagogue in Chicago. I'm Kimberly Winston. I wish you all a very happy and a healthy new year. That's all for this week's episode. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, MC Yogi for our theme music, and to our guests this week who shared their time and their reflections. This week's producers are Kevin McCarthy, Kimberly Winston, and I am your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Now, if you missed any portion of this broadcast and would like to take another listen and maybe even share with a friend, please visit interfaithradio.org or stream the podcast. Just search Interfaith Voices wherever you listen. And if you listen via podcast, I'd like to invite you to leave a review. It helps us and it helps listeners find our show. As I begin my third year behind the mic with you, I want to say thanks not only to the stations that carry us, but to our generous supporters and listeners for your feedback and your generosity. This year, we are hoping to launch a book club And we'd love to include you. We'd love to get your thoughts on the kind of books you'd like to read. And if you're up for joining me in a Zoom book club, it's been a tough year, one that has been lonely. And, you know, I'd like to see you. So go over to interfaithradio.org, sign up for our newsletter, and you'll receive special announcements, updates, and invitations to attend events. I hope you're well wherever you are. I hope you are safe And I want you to stay connected. See you next week.